morning, everyone. Um, at this time, the kids and youth are dismissed to the back. Um, welcome again. This morning, we are celebrating, um, not just here at H. Baker, with the Worldwide Church Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost Sunday, of course, is the celebration of the Holy Spirit's coming down. Um, in in, in Jesus' life, we have a promise fulfilled, right? From the Old Testament, from Genesis up until the Gospel, there's this promise of a Messiah, of a Savior to come. So Jesus in his life fulfills God's promises. Jesus in how he lived fulfilled God's promises. Jesus going to the cross fulfills God's promises. And then after he's dead for three days, he's resurrected again, fulfilling God's promises. Yet after the resurrection and before the ascension and the work on heaven, Jesus again, towards the end of the Gospel, promises a, a help to come and promises the Holy Spirit. And in the coming of the Holy Spirit, 50 days after Easter, on this Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate that when Jesus says the Spirit is coming, the Spirit has come. Now remember, before the Spirit comes down, Jesus commissions his disciples, right? And at the end of Matthew, he says what? Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, doing what? Teaching them everything I've taught you, and lo, I am with you always. So after he commissions them, this is the call for every disciple of Jesus. Now, the English, again, betrays us a little bit, because when we hear the, the Great Commission, we says, oh, he's telling us to go, right? But in the Greek, the, the probably better translation would be having already been sent, or, or having already gone, meaning that Jesus isn't asking you to do this, right? Jesus is expecting you to do this, right? Like, Jesus is expecting you to be out there making disciples and teaching everything you know. And you'll see that as a thread in the message today, right? Where God holds us accountable for everything that we know. God holds us accountable for everything that we've lived to, to experience and to share. There's an accountability that's built in. So then when you get to, to the day of ascension, right? Jesus, again, after commissioning them, says, I've already sent y'all. Go make disciples. Teach them what I taught you. But right before he goes up to heaven, right, he says, you, y'all, my people, my sisters and brothers, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Where? Lord locally in Jerusalem, where nationally, across the, 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 the Israel, but also to the ends of the earth. So Jesus commissions and sends us, and then he says again, the Holy Spirit will come down. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down, we celebrate that this morning. What do we celebrate? We celebrate that Jesus' promise has been fulfilled. We celebrate what Scripture calls a deposit of the inheritance, right? We could dream of heaven, but we get to taste heaven a little bit now with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit that transforms us. The Holy Spirit that's a little deposit of our inheritance. So as we celebrate Pentecost, as we celebrate the coming and commission, we also celebrate the completing work of the Holy Spirit. That the work God began in you, the Spirit's going to complete. That who you are today, if you're living not by the flesh but by the Spirit, is that you are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But on Pentecost, we also celebrate the reminder that the kingdom has come, not just to Jerusalem, not just to us here in Harrisburg, but to the world. That our God has so loved the world. And so in Jerusalem, you have what, what's happening is one of the pilgrimage holidays where God's people had gathered from all the known world to come on to Jerusalem. And when the Spirit comes down, they hear the word of God in their own language, reminding us that the commission of going to make disciples, that the commission of being his witnesses is not just for us here, but to the world. God has sent us to the world. The Spirit has come for the world. That's why we celebrate today on Pentecost that God has worked in the past, that God is working now, and we can dream of the work that God's still yet to do. That's why we celebrate that the Holy Spirit comes and enters into the church and dwells inside of us. We celebrate that that same Holy Spirit that came down on Pentecost is the one that works inside of us, is the one that works through us, is the one that works for us, and is the one that works with us. But perhaps there is no more practical teaching for the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is to transform us than in the teaching in James 3 of the taming of our tongues. This Easter Eastertide season, from, from Easter Sunday to Pentecost, that season of Eastertide, we've been saying, what does new life in Christ look like? And our answer has been living out our faith. 
And our text has been James. And the theme of James is going to be consistent. Your faith must show up in what you believe. It must show up in what you practice. It must show up in your lives. And then often in James, you hear the echo of Jesus. Even in this passage, you hear Jesus teaching in Matthew 12 that a tree is known by its fruit. But in this passage of the taming of the tongue, James challenges us by saying, yes, the Spirit has come down. Yes, the Spirit is at work in the world. Yes, the Spirit is at work in history. But is the Spirit at work in you? Because if you're not taming your tongue, if you are not controlling your tongue, you are limiting the work of the Spirit. You are deafening the power of your witness. You are not being the disciples who can make disciples as best as God wants you to. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3. I'll be reading the very first 12 verses. We'll also have it up front so you can follow along or in your scriptures. James 3, starting at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That makes me feel so good, you know? It's exciting. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is self is set on fire by hell. Tell us how you really feel, James. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the image of God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's pray together. Our Father, God, we thank you this morning that we get to celebrate the coming, the commission, and the completing work of the Holy Spirit. In the coming of the Holy Spirit, we celebrate your promise fulfilled. We celebrate the helper that Jesus said was coming for the church. We celebrate the, 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 the power of the Spirit that transforms us into the image of the Son, that convicts us and calls us back to you, that is at work in this world and making your kingdom come, your will be done. But Lord, we also celebrate the commission of all of us as disciples, submitting to the Spirit, but going out and living as you've called us to live, making disciples of, of the nations, of teaching them everything you've taught us. And God, we thank you that your son Jesus Christ is not only a promise fulfilled, but even before going to heaven, promised us that the Spirit would come. And in the coming of the Spirit, our world has forever been changed. In the coming of the Spirit, the world has forever seen your love. In the coming of the Spirit, the gospel has gone to so many peoples and so much more to go. In the coming of your Spirit, we have been transformed. But Lord, help us now, this morning, in this space, to be people who are willing to surrender to the Spirit and not the flesh. To be people who are, 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 are convicted, yes, but also inspired and encouraged to live by the Spirit, to die to the flesh, to be people who tame our tongues so that it's useful and beneficial for the kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. amen. So this major theme in James is that your faith must show off in life and practice. Last week when we talked about the, the end of James chapter 2, we talked about faith and works, right? And C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote where he's like, faith and works, they don't compete with each other. That's like looking at scissors and saying, well, I only need one blade, right? If you take the, the pair of scissors apart and you have one blade, you don't have scissors. You just have a blade, right? The scissors has to go together. Faith and works have to go together. Or Teresa of Calcutta, she says, listen, all of us can only do what we can do. And the little that we can do in being faithful is like a drop in the ocean, right? 
But if that drop didn't exist in the ocean, the ocean wouldn't be the ocean. It wouldn't be all that it can be. And if we put that into the context of faith and works, God sees your faithfulness. God sees the little that you're doing. God sees the, the cup of water you're giving. God sees the love that you're pouring out. But the flip side of that is, if we're not being faithful, if we're not doing what God's called us to do, if we're not doing that little drop of the ocean, then the kingdom isn't what the kingdom should be. That's why every person matters in the kingdom. Because we've said this before and we'll say this again, right? Only you know the people that you know. Only you can love them the way you can love them. Only you have those relationships, that connection, that power, that influence to touch those people. And the proof is you can go to someone you deeply love and say, I love you. And they might give you a hug. I can go to that same person and say, I love you. And they might look at me a little weird, right? Only you can go to the people you can go. That's why every drop matters. That's why every bit of faithfulness matters. That's why faith and works matters. Because if you're doing your part, the kingdom is the kingdom. And the flip side is if you're not doing your part, then you, 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 you are limiting the kingdom of God. Faith and works has to go together. Now this week, James rams it up and it's very practical. And in essence, he's going to say, hey, listen, we're either living by the spirit or living by the flesh. If we're living by the spirit, we will see fruit. But if we're living by the flesh, we won't be able to tame this tongue of ours. The taming of the tongue begins with James's warning to the fellow teachers, the, 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 what the Greek called the didaskalos. Right? And he's speaking to fellow teachers, and I think it's fascinating because as he begins this passage, right, he's saying, Not many of you should be teachers. James knew something about church people, right? We are gifted, we are skilled, we have life experiences, and we love to tell you what to do. All of us are gifted, so all of us can teach. And James says, Listen, all of y'all might want to teach, but not all of y'all should teach. Right? All of y'all might think you're gifted to teach, but I want you to know, my sisters and brothers, if you stand up before the people of God, I know this feels great. If you stand up before the people of God, do know that you will be held accountable for everything that you teach. And I think that's why it's important for us to like begin this passage holding that because yes, to teach the people of God is a calling, but it's united with accountability. Because what you say doesn't just matters. What you say matters to the people of God. And then when he starts off with the didaskalos, he starts off with the teachers, and we need to hold that in this whole passage. But James wants us to know that if you're going to say, I'm a Christian, if you're going to say, I follow Jesus, if you're going to say, I am living for Jesus, you're going to be held accountable. Everything you teach, everything you live, every word, every deed will be held accountable. And part of the way we hold on to this accountability is to be a growing person ourselves. Right? Because he says in verse 2, right, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, right? Or the idea there in the Greek is completed, right? You're your full self. And all of us will stumble. So how do we do this with the stumbling? I think the answer is to be a growing person. Henry Nouwen, who's one of my favorite writers, right? When I was in high school, I used to read a lot of devotionals, right? Like, I, at one point, I was reading like seven, eight daily devotionals, and it became like a, a part-time job, right? And eventually, someone was just like, you should just pick one or two. I was like, one or two? I'll like, cut it down to five or six, right? And so as I would read these devotionals, I would always read Oswald Chambers, right, my utmost for his highest, back to back with Henry Nouwen. Because Oswald Chambers is just like slapping you around. He's like, da, 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 da. I need that paper, right? Oswald Chambers is just like slapping you around. And at the end of Oswald Chambers, you're just like, I need to be a better Christian. I don't know what I'm doing today, but I got to work on it, right? But Nouwen was like my good cop. It was just like, God loves you. God's with you. God's holding you. I know you've messed up. But God's got you. So it was like this great thing, right? And, and so the story about Nowen goes like this. Nowen was a, not only a, a pastor, not really a pastor, but a, a preacher and a speaker and really like a priest, right? But he would do a lot of these speaking engagements, and all his engagements were like that. They were contemplative. 
They were peaceful. They were quiet. They're all about getting into your inner self, you know, listening to the voice of the spirit. And the whole time as he's doing this one conference, there's a lady in the back with her teenager, right? And she's listening and listening. She's just listening for something. And then after the, the, the conference is a, a question response or question and answer section. And, you know, everybody, like I said, Christians, right? We love to teach, right? Like you can have someone go and go for three hours, but you got something to say. And you will say it, right? So people are waxing poetic and asking their deep questions. And now it's just, God loves you. God's with you. God is going to work in this. And finally, this lady literally drags her teenager to the front of the line. And she's like, Henry, I don't know what you're talking about, right? This idea of peace and contemplation and just relaxing and listening to the Spirit, I have a teenager. Like, there's no peace in my house. In fact, this child is driving me crazy. And, and now one looks at her and just like, but, but, but what, what, what are you asking me? Like, what, what's your question in there? You know? And she's just like, I don't know what to do. I got a teenager. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to survive. In fact, I'm trying to make sure this teenager's still breathing by the end of this conversation. And as he's wont to do, now it looks her in the eye, right? And he doesn't give her a three-point plan to save your teenager. All he says to her is, listen, the greatest gift you can give to the world is to be a growing person yourself. And that's always stuck with me, right? The greatest gift we can give to the world is a growing person ourselves, right? Because the gift of salvation comes from God, right? The Holy Spirit convicts, God made the plan, Jesus saves, right? But the greatest gift we can give to the world is to not say we got it all under control, we've solved it all, but are we willing to be growing people ourselves? Excuse me. I'm just glad I didn't hit my head on that. And so now when gives her this gift, that if you're going to be a teacher or a parent or a Christ follower, are you willing to be a growing person yourself? And in the context of James 3, right, he's talking about teachers specifically, but also within this passage, he's talking to the Gapitoi, Adelphoi, which is us, the people of God. We who have been loved with the special love that God gives. So yes, this is the teachers primarily, but he's also saying if you're a follower of Jesus. Because guess what? Just like the teachers, we're all called to share the truth of the gospel. We're all called, right? We've all been commissioned by Jesus, right? To go and make disciples of the nations, teaching them what? Everything that God has taught you. We're all called to be his witnesses locally in Harrisburg, across the nation, and even to the ends of the world. The Agapitoia, Delphoi, the beloved, the, the favorites of God are all called to share the gospel of Jesus. And that means that all of us will be held accountable for that. Right? All of us, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you follow Jesus, no matter where you are in your life, in your faith, in your walk, in your journey, all of us will be held accountable. And I think one of the ways we can be accountable is by being growing people ourselves. How are you growing in what you know about God? How are you expanding your heart with the love of God for the world around you? And how are you practicing that love of God? Because I think if we start from there, of knowing that, yes, we got to tame the tongue, but one way to do that is to grow and grow in our head, our heart, and our practice. Because here's the thing about the tongue. James seems to believe that taming the tongue is essential, is foundational to a faithful witness of God. It's hard to know that God loves you if I'm wrapping it with some truth that breaks you down and destroys you. It's hard to know that God thinks you're valuable if I think it's my job to cut you down first. It's hard to know that the love of God is real when you don't feel the love of God for me, the servant of God. James seems to believe that taming the tongue is essential in our faithful witness. And so James continues in this line of, of what we call wisdom literature in the scriptures, right? That our small tongues can do big damage. Now, I said, James, tell us how you really feel. Let's go to the Proverbs and the Psalmist. They have some more to say about this tongue of ours. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it eat its fruit. That's about as good as we'll get. 
Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see good, many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Our tongues are boastful. Our tongues are filled with ego and pride. Our tongues are fire starters, according to scripture. And that always reminds me, only you can prevent forest fires, right? The little word at the wrong time. And we've seen this happen, most of us, right? Where like, you say something small and there's an explosion. We did not prevent the forest fires, right? But our tongues can be evil. They can be corrupting. They can be poisonous. When I was at Messiah College my junior year, they were building what became the student union. And it's so weird because this building is now almost 20 years old, right? When I was at Messiah, my junior year, we were the only all-junior apartment that was, like, all, like, junior. Yeah, that's right. We're the only all-junior male apartment, right? A couple of us had senior credit, which just means that, like, we had more credit, so we counted as seniors, even though we're our third year. So we were the only ones, right? So because of that, our friends, right, thought our apartment was the student union. And for the most of the year, this was great, because at any given point, there's 20 people in your apartment. Any given point, right? And we lived in the basement, too. This has been recorded. We lived in the basement, too. So, like, if anyone knocked on our door, it's easy to just shove them out the window and then just, like, go out the back. It was perfect, right? Except when you had to, you know, study. I remember one night, like, I had a big test the next morning, so I went to the library, and I studied all night. I want you all to hold that for a second. That's a miracle. You may not believe in miracles. That's a miracle. I took myself. I went to the library. I had books, and I studied all night. And not only I studied all night, I was going to go to bed early, right? That big test tomorrow. I come back in my apartment, and it's just filled with people. And I'm sitting there looking at them. I was just like, how in the world am I going to get all these people out of my apartment? I got to sleep. I got a test tomorrow. And I looked across, and they're, like, making food, talking, watching movies. And I was just like, this is not going to be fun. But here's the thing. I grew up in southwest Philly. And when you grow up in southwest Philly, you're best with certain blessings, right? Like, you get uh, what we call assurance of the tongue, right? Like, you know how to say what to say to get it done, right? So I looked around the room, and I was just like, hey, y'all, y'all got to go. <laughs> I'm trying to sleep. Y'all got to go. And no one moved. The other thing you learn from Southwest Philly is you find the biggest, baddest guy on the block. And if you can put that person in their place, everyone else will follow. And who did I pick but my friend Noah? Now, you have to understand, you got to use your memory for this one, right? You remember Ivan Drago from the Rocco movies? That's Noah. About six foot five, like this huge mountain of a person, right? And most of you be like, you should be intimidated by that. I'm like, nah, he's a teddy bear. But the thing is, with him being 6'5 and me not being 6'5, I couldn't just, like, yell at him and talk to him this way, right? So I actually got up on the end table, right? I stood up on the end table, and I'm still looking up at him, which is kind of weird, right? And I'm like, listen, Noah, y'all got to get the out of my apartment. And everyone was just like, what is going on? Like, Hank is real chill. I'm like, I'm not chill. Get out. And what's funny is they did, right? But the hard part of that was that the sleep that I wanted <laughs> evaded me all night. Because what I realized is I, 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 I was successful in getting them out of my apartment. But I was not successful in this place, in this community we had built to being a safe, fun environment, right? I had undercut some of that. I, I did not feel good that I made people feel less than, right, for just being physically in our space. I didn't feel good that I put my personal above what was my community at the time. And worst of all, Noah was one of my best friends, right? Like, Noah was the first white person in this world that said to me, like, I think white supremacy is a problem. And I was just like, this is weird. You're blonde hair, blue eyes. Y'all don't talk like this. You see, Noah grew up in Chantilly, Virginia in the projects, and all his friends were black. And so it wasn't just, oh, I identify with black people. He saw the differences that even as a white kid in the projects, the privileges he had that his black brothers and sisters didn't have, right? And, and so Noah was very active in pointing out all the way Messiah College was white supremacist. So that's why he was a good buddy to have. Yet and still in that moment, I forgot all of that connection and that friendship that we had, and I just wanted him to get out of my apartment. It felt good to get him out, but it felt horrible to know that with my pride and my ego, 
Instead of choosing love, right? Instead of choosing a nicer way to maybe encourage them more likely, I yelled and I screamed, right? And I just wanted them out. And I think that's the thing about our tongues, right? Like this little part of our body can do so much damage. This little part of our body that should be used to encourage can discourage. That can be used to build up can destroy. That can be used for light sometimes sows darkness. And so James goes back in the passage and he, he pulls out the technology of their day. He says, listen, horses, right? Like the horses that we use, we have a bridle in their mouth and we can turn them and tame them to our will. The ships that are big and powerful, we got little rudders on them that we can pilot them with. But how can we not tame the tongue? And I was thinking about that this week, and I was just like, what's a modern-day equivalent of horses and ships, right? I know you're wondering that, too. You know what it is? Last year, IBM introduced a two-nanometer uh, uh, microchip, right? And I love talking about stuff like this because, like, my knowledge is limited. So I just read what's on the paper, right? Like, you're just going to have to go with me on this one, right? But this two-meter nanochip... It's the size of a fingernail. If you look down your fingernail, that's how big this chip is. But yet, in that little fingernail, there's 50 billion transistors, right? And what that means is that, you know, we live in a capitalist society, so we got to make a lot of money off of it first. So, like, we're not going to help the people. We're just going to make money first. That's America, right? Like, but after they figure that part out, in 2024, 2025, they're going to introduce this nanochip. And what it's going to be able to do is that every single phone that has access to this technology, your cell battery will at least double, maybe triple in how long it lasts right? Your laptop speeds, right? Like, it's going to get even faster. And I love talking to kids today. They're just like, the internet's too slow. I was like, back in my day. Back in my day, we had to dial it in. You know, like, we had to dial it in and embrace yourself. Like, you waited. And then, like, the worst thing was right when you're about to connect, a phone call came in. You know, it's just like, you better be dying because <laughs> I was about to get on AOL Instant Messenger, right? Like, back in my day, but they're going to make it even faster. They're going to be able to, 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 to enhance, right, which is kind of scary a little bit, like AI, right? They're going to be able to in, uh, expand the cloud, which I don't think any of us really understand the cloud. We just know it's there, right? Like, they're going to be able to expand so much. And this little microchip will change not just, you know, our computers and our cell phones, right? It could possibly change our planes, our trains, our automobiles, right? This little microchip, without it, they're all left useless, and so that's the modern-day equivalent, right? This idea that something so small is either going to be useful or useless. It's either going to make it more productive or more destructive. It's either going to make it more light or more dark. And so James is building on this point when he says, listen, our tongues reveal a hypocrisy. Because listen, how can we praise our God and in the very next breath, the very next breath, we curse one another. Another part of growing up in Southwest Philly is we played this thing called the dozens, right? And the dozens is different. Like, some of you be like, yeah, when I was in middle school, we taught your mama jokes. Your mama jokes was like kindergarten for us, right? Like, it's just like, at some point when you hit middle school, it's like, I don't know why you're talking about my mom. That's weird, right? Like, stop talking about my mom, right? Like, when we did the dozens, it was like we looked you up and down. And the job was to literally verbally destroy you. Right? Because it was a self-preservation thing. Like, you needed to put that person in place. You needed to say something so vicious to that person so that when they looked at you, they wouldn't even come back for more. Right? And some of us, when we started high school, we were 4'11", 90 pounds. Right? Like, so we weren't going to win every fight. But if we're going to talk, we're going to destroy you. And that's how we were bred. And so when I got to high school, I remember I had a really good friend who was like, hey, this is, this is, this is, I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, you're thinking. That's wonderful. Thinking thoughts, you know? That's just how we show love, right? And he was like, no, 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 you're a Christian. I was like, yeah, I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. Jesus loved my life. Jesus is my homeboy. I had a t-shirt and everything, right? And he was just like, yeah, 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 you're a Christian. But like, I've seen you like when, when you're interacting and talking with people. Like, there's one time where I said you said something to someone and I, I felt like they were going to cry, you know? I just think that's weird because you're a Christian. I was like, hmm, <laughs> conviction? <laughs> you know, it's like, they need a sermon on James 3 for that moment, right? I was just like, wow, that, that, that's a good point, you know? And that was the beginning of my turning point of realizing, right, that it's not just about the culture I grew up in. But more than that, it's not about my self-preservation. 
It's not about me feeling good and better by myself. It's not about me putting you in your place. It's the opposite of that. God has gifted me this voice, this tongue, to build up and not to build down, right? To make people feel good and not to make people feel bad about themselves. To preach the kingdom and not preach about me or make me the center of the universe. And I was convicted. And James is building on this. He says, we are hypocrites if we praise the Lord with one voice and in the next breath we destroy one another. I had a friend in high school, another friend who was an Indian Christian, and he taught me about namaste, right? Like, and, and, and yoga and all those practices, they all mean different things with namaste, right? But what my friend taught me is like, listen, like, namaste, I see the God in you. And I was like, tell me about that, you know, because I was confused because in, in my context, right, it was like, oh, they're calling everybody gods, right? Like, you're God, you're God, you're God. And my friend was like, no, no, it's different. And it took me years to hold on to this because now I fervently believe, right, the reason the gospel is growing so much in Asia, in parts of Africa especially, in, in, in yes, the Middle East, North Africa, in South America, is because God is already at work in every culture, and what we do wrong with the gospel is we think our culture here is what the culture must be there for them to follow God. But if we just preach the gospel and sit back and let God move, God's going to call people to him because God's already there. And my Indian Christian friend taught me this. He says, no, 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 no. When you understand I see the God in you, that is to look at your sister, look at your brother, and not just say, oh, you're created in the image of God. Because we don't know what that means. But it means that, like, when I look at you, you're the son of God. You're the daughter of the king. Like, how can I curse you when you're literally created by the God of this universe? C.S. Lewis, for those of you who are more evangelical, if that's too radical for you to see it that way, C.S. Lewis said this, which I think is even more than namaste. C.S. Lewis says, if we saw one another the way God sees us, we would be forced to stop worshiping God and worship one another. If we truly see God in each other. If we truly believe that everyone's created in the image of God, how dare we curse one another? How dare we break down one another? How dare we, right? Not just with our thoughts, not just with our words, but yes, with our Facebook posts. How dare we destroy one another if we're created in this image of God? Because like our Jesus says, right? Your tongue, right? Your heart is going to reveal where you're full of. In Matthew 12, Jesus says it like this. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in them. And an evil person brings evil things out of the good stored up in them. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The call to tame the tongue is not just saying, oh, the Spirit is in me. But a call to tame the tongue is crucial to the kingdom. For James, taming the tongue is controlling it so that it's useful and beneficial for the kingdom. And the flip side of that means that if we don't control it, we're not useful, we're not beneficial for the kingdom. And I hate to make it black and white. And to the, the postmoderns and the, the Gen Z millennials, I hate to make it binary, but it is. You're either living for God or you're not. You're either building the kingdom or you're not. You're either encouraging or you're discouraging. You're either preaching light or, or preaching darkness. You're either loving or not loving. It's very, very simple according to James because tame tongues are a sign of growth in the spirit. I don't know where you are in your faith this morning. I don't know how close you feel to God. I don't know where you are on your journey in your walk. I don't know if you've been following Jesus faithfully for 50 years or, or 50 minutes, right? But all of us should be able to stop and look at our lives and ask this question, am I growing? Because it's not enough to say I have a temper. How have you grown in the work of that temper? Right? What are the tools you've used to help that temper? What have you learned about de-escalation? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried spiritual counseling? Have you tried talking to someone who actually specialized in this? Right? It's not enough to be like, I have a sharp tongue. You know, I just, it just comes out of me. Well, according to Jesus, <laughs> the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
So if what comes out of you naturally is venom, <laughs> there's a question you have to ask yourself, what am I full of that it just comes out of me? Tame tongues are a sign of growth. And it's not enough for us to say, like, we're not perfect. Because what we do in this world is we say we're not perfect to excuse our misbehaviors. Right? Like, usually when we say we're not, at least that's what I did when I was a kid. You know, it's just like, why'd you break the glass? I wasn't perfect. You know, like, that never goes over well. It's not enough for you to say we're not perfect. God knows you're not perfect. That's why God is working on perfecting you, right? That's why God is willing on transforming you, completing you. The question isn't saying we're not perfect. The answer, the question really is, are we growing? You have a temper. How have you grown with that temper? <laughs> you have a sharp mouth. How have you grown with that sharp mouth? You think thoughts are, are you holding on to privileges that you have? How have you grown in that area, right? Like when you look at someone be like, well, they don't have my education or I worked for this house, right? Or I, I earned everything I've had. All those thoughts, right? Have you surrendered them to the spirit? How are you growing in that area? Because it's not just saying we're not perfect. Are we growing? Because the thing is, yes, we're all going to fall short, right? We're all going to stumble or say things that we don't want to say or sometimes thoughts that we can't control or we thought we control, they're going to pop up in our heads, right? But here's the question to that one. <laughs> Do you make things right? Because not just not to say I'm not perfect, right? Are you growing? But when you do stumble, when you do fall short, do you go back and make things right? Are you a, build, are you a bridge builder? <laughs> are you a peacemaker? Are you a reconciler? Because yes, you're not perfect, but how are you making things right? If you've caused the breach, how are you repairing the breach? If you've done harm and hurt, how are you repairing the harm and hurt? If you've broken down, how are you building up? Because yes, all of our tongues can destroy. All of our words can hurt, right? Stick and stones may break my bones, but words will always hurt me? Yes, that's true. We can destroy. But a question for us as God's people, as followers of Jesus, as the agapitoi for those who are loved and favorites and loved, but especially way God loves, are we building up or are we destroying? And the last part of this taming the tongue is what Jesus says, right? We speak what we're full of. So what's filling you up? Because how do you preach love from your tongue if you're not being filled with the love of God? How do you surrender to the spirit if you're living by the flesh? How do you, right, speak what you're full of if you're not being full of the things of God? So what do you need to do to grow in your walk with God? What do you need to do so that you're not dry, right? Because you need to be so filled with God, right, that it pours out of you and into the word. And it also pours even in the words that come from your mouth. Because tame tongues are what we're called to have. Sisters and brothers, my prayer for all of us is that we would be people who are known as encouragers, not discouragers. That we are known as people who uplift, not downcast. That we are known as people who help and not hurt. That we are known as people who heal and not damage. Because tame tongues are useful and beneficial for the kingdom. And if we're not willing to grow in this, if we're not willing to make things right, if we're not willing to build up, if we're not willing to be full of the things of God, we are limiting the work of the kingdom. We're limiting the power of the spirit. We're limiting the witness of our calling. And we're limiting God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? I'd like to call up Pastor Carmen. We're going to continue our service with communion. Um, hopefully, as you came in, you're able to gather the elements. If you weren't able to pick up any elements, please raise your hands. I think we have some deacons and people in the back who will be able to pass them out. If you need anything, just have your hand up, and a couple people will walk around and help you with that. We now invite you to come to this table, not because we must, but because we may. 
We come to testify, not that we are perfect, but that we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Again, here at Harrisburg BIC, we don't require that you're a member of this church to partake in communion, but we do ask that you be a member of the church of Jesus Christ, that you're a follower of Jesus. We come, not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in our frailty we stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. We come not only to remember his death, but also his resurrection and promise to return. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before us, let us lift up our minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to us the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let us join together in the responsive reading for communion taken from Philippians chapter 2. In our relationships with one another, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. He humbled himself even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. God gave him the name that is above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. And one way that we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is to share in the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for the promise fulfilled that is your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you left heaven to come to earth. You took on skin and lived in and among us, not only becoming flesh, but teaching us how to live in love. But Lord, now we take this bread, remembering that you are indeed the bread of life. Remembering that you were broken so that we can be whole. That you were beaten so that we can do new life. That you died so that we can have new life in you. Lord, for your death, we remember. For your resurrection, we remember. For this cup, when this, for this bread, oh, we remember that your body that was broken is now the body that heals us too. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving us. In your holy and precious name, amen. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born for our Savior, to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your hearts and be thankful. After the supper, he took the cup, which is the, in the Jewish Passover feast, called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we just want to take a few seconds just to reflect and self-evaluate our hearts, God. Anything damaging, my God, or dishonorable to you, Father, forgive us for our sins. Words that we have spoken, Lord, that may not bring you honor nor glory, that has not edified or encouraged our brother or sister. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, God, for anything that is, um, any good that we left undone. Help us, Lord, to do the right thing, to do the thing that is right in your eyes. Father, help us to forgive one another. Help us to take it to each other and bring reconciliation where it's possible. Thank you, Father, for your blood that cleanses and washes us. Thank you that there's forgiveness found in you. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take this cup, remembering that what he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Um, at this time, I'd like to invite up the worship team as we end with our last song. also like to invite any of the pastors in the room to come up front. Uh, we'd love to pray for you for maybe something in the service you'd like to respond to, or maybe you just need prayer. We'd love to pray for you for that. Um, also like to invite you to stand together as we sing, mindful of the love of God that's not just for us, but for the world. Mindful of our Jesus who paid it all, not just for us, but for the world. Mindful for the spirit that came, not only for us, 
but for the world. Let's stand and sing together.
Lord's Day of Pentecost, we celebrate with the worldwide church, the historic church, the church alive today, that the Spirit has come down, right? That the Spirit is commissioned to do this work, that the Spirit is going to complete us. But one of the ways that we can live life by the Spirit is by not only submitting and surrendering our hopes and dreams, but surrendering, surrendering and submitting our entire selves. And one of the ways we can surrender ourselves is to surrender our tongues. May the Lord, who's the God of this universe, oh, yes. use us to encourage yes. and not discourage. Yes. May the Lord, who's the God of everything, use us to uplift and not to downcast. My prayer for all of us is that we're people who bring help and not hurt. People who bring healing yes. and not destruction. May all of us be useful and beneficial to the kingdom, not just with our tongues, but in deed and in truth. May all of us, to our world, bring the love of Christ. Not just because God loves us, but because God so loved the world. Amen? Our Father God, we thank you so much for the coming of the Holy Spirit. In the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can celebrate that you're a God who fulfills promises. In the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can celebrate that you're the God who so loved the world. That in the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can celebrate that you're the God who gifts the church. That you're the God who works in us and through us and with us and for us. We celebrate the coming of the Spirit. But God, we also deeply desire to be people of the Spirit. So Lord, teach us to surrender all of ourselves to you, all of our wills to you, all of our thoughts to you, all of our words to you. God, help us to be people who on this side of heaven are living to tame our tongue because a controlled tongue is useful and beneficial for the kingdom. So God, I pray that all of us may be encouragers and not discouragers, may be bridge builders and not bridge destroyers, may be people who preach light and love of Jesus and not just darkness and destruction of the world. May we be a people who reflect our Father in heaven. May we be a people surrendered to the Spirit. May we be a people who know that as God fills us up with love, and mercy and goodness and grace with peace and wisdom and compassion that all those things that we're filled with will pour out of us into our world. God, only we know the people that we know. Only we can influence the people that we can influence. So we humbly bow down to you and ask that our thoughts, our actions, our words may all be surrendered to you. For your kingdom come, for your will to be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In your holy and precious name, we pray, Lord Jesus our Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you all.